Labels. Society makes them. We all wear them. Some labels fit perfect. Some are the wrong size. Some are just plain wrong. Mom said I was a mistake. Dad didn't stick around. I felt lonely, scared, like I didn't fit in. Labels can be powerful, and some labels lie. Only God can give a label that brings hope, confidence, strength, freedom, a new identity, a label big enough to live in. Life gives lots of labels, but there's only one label maker. All right, what's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing? Join me in welcoming our campuses, watching all over New Jersey. Those of you watching online as well or on the podcast, so glad you are here with us. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you as we are wrapping up our series, Label Maker, where we've been taking a look at the labels the world puts on us and flipping them to see ourselves the way God sees us, as chosen, as holy, as sons and as daughters. And I tell you, it's been an incredible series, especially last week when we looked at the label, Sick to Healed. And so last week we actually had a healing service, and this place became holy ground, all of our campuses. It was an incredible time of seeing God move. And we prayed for people to be healed physically. We prayed for people to be healed emotionally. And we prayed for people to be healed spiritually. I want to share a couple quick stories. Um, there was one woman that came forward uh, that wanted prayer for her chronic back pain. And so uh, I said, all right, let's pray. And we were praying. And I had my hand on her back. And as we were praying, I, I started to feel her back start to move. Like the muscles were moving. And I'm like, what's going on here? I go, do you feel that? And she's like, yeah, it's awesome. The pain's going away. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Praise God for that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so we saw signs of God touching his people physically. And maybe you're here and you're like, you know, I, I didn't experience God healing me physically. I even came up for prayer. And I just want to say that's okay. In fact, we have our prayer teams here available after this service throughout all of our campuses that are there to pray for you. And, and we believe that God wants to touch you physically. He wants to heal you in that way. But not just physically. We also got, saw God heal people emotionally. There's a woman I prayed for. She said, Nathan, I am having a hard time forgiving uh, these people. They have abused me. They have hurt me deeply. And I just don't know if I can forgive them. And so we prayed. And so as we were praying, I felt the Lord say to me, have her name the people she can't forgive. No, no stories, no details, just names. And so I said, would you be comfortable naming out loud those people that you need to forgive? And she started naming these names. And then in the middle of it, she started laughing. I was like, I don't know if this is a funny moment, but uh, uh, what's, what's going on? Tell me like, what the Lord's doing. She's like, I just, I just feel this, this, this happiness, this joy. I was like, oh, I see what's happening. As you're releasing resentment and as you're releasing uh, all this hurt, what's happening is God is filling you with the joy of the Lord. He's filling those broken places that resentment and anger and bitterness all lived at one point. It was awesome. And not only that, there's a woman who uh, came forward, and one of the guys in our prayer team prayed for her. She said, there's nothing wrong with me physically, but a few years ago I had an abortion. And I'm feeling just guilt and shame, and I can't feel God's forgiveness. Can you pray for me? And so we prayed for her, and she experienced God touch her in a pretty significant way. And, and, and that whole time, man, I, I tell you, we saw God move 
in some pretty powerful ways. We worship a God that heals. We worship a God that wants to touch his people. And maybe you were here last week, or maybe you weren't here last week, and and you're like, did I miss it? Let me tell you, uh, God still wants to touch you. And so we have our prayer teams. They're available uh, after this service. So again, I want to encourage you, if you're in a place where you need prayer, we want to pray for you. We want to see God touch you in whatever way uh, he wants to do that. And one of the things, as we were praying for people, the number one thing that we were actually praying over for people was that God would, would deliver people from anxiety. That was like the number one thing people were asking for over and over again, anxiety, anxiety, and anxiety. And so, you know, and let me ask you honestly, how many of you struggle with anxiety? Maybe chronic worry, or, you know, fear of the future or fear of, you know, the unknown, uncertainty, those kind of things. Yeah, uh, many of us do. And so today we're going to explore how do we flip the label of anxious to peaceful? How do we go from a place where anxiety rules our lives to a place where we can walk in the peace that God has for us? Now, all of us in one time or another have struggled with anxiety. It's kind of part of you know, being a human on planet Earth, right? But there's many of us who literally have this debilitating battle with anxiety. Literally, it, it kind of paralyzes us. In fact, the statistics tell us that 40 million Americans struggle with anxiety. And a third of all um, like, expenses for healthcare actually go to anxiety-related illnesses or diseases. So this is a big deal. And I mean, it makes complete sense, right? I mean, look at the world that we live in. We live in a world where under constant threat from global terrorism, right? In the 24-hour news cycle, who knows who's going after us or wants to kill us or or anything like that. On top of that, we've got climate change, global warming, the environment's changing. That's causing all sorts of stress and anxiety. And of course, we have just gone through one of the most politically divisive elections in, at least in the history of, of my short life on this planet, right? But literally, we are more divided about politics, about race, about all sorts of things. And so we live in an age of anxiety. We live in an age of anxiety. It's just hard to escape it. And then it filters down into our own lives as well. We've got crowded, chaotic schedules. Like literally, we are nonstop. So we're worried about our health. We're worried about our kids. We're worried about all these different things that we may or may not be able to control. But this is kind of the reality. And anxiety in America kind of feels like a roller coaster, doesn't it? Let me ask you this. How many of you guys love roller coasters? You're like, roller coaster, right? How many of you are like, I'm getting anxious looking at that picture, right? Like, you're like, no, 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 no. So, hey, we are actually going to simulate some anxiety for you this morning, right? So we kind of get a sense of what that's like, and we're going to be doing it through the roller coaster because, you know, there's something about that click, 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 click sound. As you're going up, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die, right? So here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to do this together. So let me direct your, your eyes to the screens and go ahead and put your hands up because we're going on a ride. Hands up. Ready? Here we go. Oh, it's moving kind of fast, isn't it? Okay. If you need to close your eyes, now's the time to close them. We're going up more, more, more. All right. Here we go. Get your barf bags ready, everybody. And we're getting up and get ready to scream. We're going down. Woo! Here we go. It's going faster. Up the bottom of your chair, folks. I know some of you are starting to feel anxiety right now. You're feeling it, aren't you? The heartbeat. Okay, I'm feeling it. Stop, stop, stop. No more. Okay. Woo! Now, it's one thing when you're on a roller coaster and it's exhilarating and it's fun. It's another thing when you're walking into this room and you feel like you're getting on a roller coaster, isn't it? And you literally feel like your heart's about to jump out of your chest because maybe you struggle with social anxiety. 
Or maybe it's, it's at work or it's home, but you feel like you're always on that roller coaster and it doesn't stop. It's ups, it's downs, and it can be kind of, well, not kind of, it is. It's chaotic. You know, I have a friend of mine who suffers from social anxiety. And what he says is, Nathan, it's the worst. Like, I'll have a conversation with friends of mine, people who know me and love me. And then as, as I walk away, I'm thinking, oh, I shouldn't have said that. That was so stupid. They're going to think I'm a complete lunatic. Why would I say that? And he rehashes the conversation over and over and over again in his head. He can't sleep at night because the thoughts are just always just kind of running away with him. Another friend of mine was telling me, Nathan, I know this fear is irrational and stupid, but I'm terrified of bridges. I, I, can't even, I can't even go across them. He's like, as I drive closer to a bridge, my hands get real sweaty. Uh, I start to get really hot. I get panicky. Uh, you know, I, I, I start to like, you know, hyperventilate. And literally, I need to pull over. And sometimes I just pull out my GPS and just find a new way to go because I'm so anxious about crossing that bridge. Now, I know for some of you, I've had conversations where we, when you feel anxious, it's about your kids. When you think about, okay, high school is only going to last a couple more years, college is around the corner, and you're like, oh my gosh, are they going to have the maturity to, 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 to last outside of high school, outside of my house? Are, are they going to get a good job? Are they going to survive? Are they going to live in my basement forever? It creates all sorts of anxiety in us, doesn't it? And I know for me, in the area of finances, I feel super anxious. Like, you know, right now my wife and I are in a place we're trying to pay down debt, we're trying to save for a house, and so we have this really tight budget, and so whenever something happens that kind of messes with it, like something happens with the car or some other unexpected uh, payment, I get super, super anxious. I kind of do the finances in our house, and I get really, really just like, I start to withdraw, I get paralyzed. My wife asks me, are you okay? What's going on? Oh, nothing. Nothing's wrong. Every, everything's great. Everything's awesome. But it's not awesome. I'm anxious. And maybe you're here and you're like, you know, I don't really struggle with anxiety or over worry or fear of the future or uncertainty in, in a really debilitating way. But there's an issue you have, right, that raises anxiety. Don't you have that, right? We all do. There's something that will cause some anxiety in us that kind of raises it to the surface. And it feels like we're on that roller coaster. We're going up and we're going down and we're wearing this label called anxious all the time whenever that issue comes up or even on a regular basis. But you see, God doesn't want you driven by anxiety. He wants you to surrender in peace. So what does it look like? How do we flip this label? And luckily, the scriptures give us guidance on how we can flip the label from anxious to peaceful. So we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead and open it with me. If it's on your phones, that's okay. You can go ahead and get it there as well. Or you can follow me along the screens. Or you can also um, look for the notes. In your, in your notes, we have all the scriptures laid out in there. And, and so let me tell you a little bit about Philippians. Philippians was actually written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. He wrote the book of uh, Ephesians. A couple weeks ago, we talked about adoption. Some of you might remember that. Paul wrote that letter. He wrote those ideas. And so here we're looking at a letter he's writing to a church in the city of Philippi. And he writes in these words, starting at verse 4. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let me ask you this. Where is Paul writing these words from. Where do you think? Oh, he's, from, he's at a Cinco de Mayo party. That, that's where he's writing this, right? Oh, maybe it's his birthday. You know, he got a really great grip, so he's like, rejoice, this is great. Oh, no, 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 he won the lottery. That's why he's so happy, right? He is just rejoicing in the Lord. Paul is in jail. 
but not just any jail. He's in a Roman jail. It's like a pit. They just threw him in there. There's no, there's no potted plants. There's no light. He's just in this pit. And before he was in that pit, he was, he was uh, beaten to literally an inch of his life, just, just kind of beaten up. Before that, he was shipwrecked and he'd almost drowned. And before that, he'd been betrayed by his closest friends. I mean, this is a guy that literally everywhere he looks, everywhere he turns, is experiencing adversity of all sorts. And so what does he say? He says, rejoice, right? You're like, what is Paul smoking? And where can I get some of that, right? Like, like is he just living in, in denial? I don't think Paul is living in denial. I think he's discovered something, that there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on happenings. Like, what's happening in your life will either make you happy or sad. Like, hey, work was great today. I'm happy. Work was awful the next day. I'm not happy. You know, things are going great with my kids. Makes me happy. Um, things, my kids weren't listening to me today. I am mad. I'm angry. See, happiness is dependent on the external situations that are happening around us. But joy, joy is deeper. Joy is, is more deeply rooted in the reality that we are connected to a creator that is sustaining us and our lives. He, he's with us. That's where, where joy is. Joy is almost like the stuff that helps our faith to flow in a sea of uncertainty. Joy is in the moment, it's in the now, we have it always. But the thing about anxiety, what it does, is it projects fear into the future, right? Look, some of you, when we struggle with anxiety, we know this, right? We can jump from the future to the past, and we can see the future in technicolor, right? It's like, before you even get to the doctor's office, you're like, oh, I know what he's going to say. It's going to be cancer, right? You're, you're already thinking of a negative outcome before you've even stepped into the waiting room. Or you step out at your front door and already in your mind's eye, you're imagining the twisted metal wrapped around a phone pole because you're thinking, I'm going to get into a car accident before your key goes into the ignition. Or you're thinking, okay, I, need to be, I want to be a doctor one day, but I need to get into a good med school. But in order to get into a good med school, I need to get into a good college. In order to get into a good college, I've got to pass high school. I've got to get through high school. And so I've got this, 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 this biology test, and I've got to pass it. If I don't pass it, my entire life is ruined. Right? Because that's what anxiety does. It, makes us, it takes our thoughts, and we, it kind of runs with it, and just kind of goes, goes, and goes. And so when Paul says to rejoice, what he's saying is, don't get so caught up in all the stuff that could happen or should happen or would happen. Listen, lots of things could happen. But focus in on the moment. And in this moment, you can live in joy. Because if you're a Christ follower, we know that Jesus says that he's going to sustain us. Amen? We know that Jesus is going to provide for us. He's going to protect us. So we can rejoice in what we know, which is we know that the God of this universe is in control of our lives, which is why Paul goes on to say this, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. This word gentleness is interesting. It actually can have a couple different uh, meanings depending on what your Bible translation you're using. It can be translated as reasonableness, like let your reasonableness be known, or let your graciousness be known. It's this idea that whatever is appropriate in the moment, that's what you're going to do. Like you're known for not getting caught up in what could or could not happen or what used to happen, but you're focused right here and right now. That's the idea here. And the reason why we can have this focus is because right here, the Lord is near. Now, this isn't talking about the Lord is near as in he's going to come back any minute now. Now, we know that's true, but actually the Lord is near means this, is he is here right now in this moment, in every moment. The Lord is near. 
He's with you. He's close. So do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, I want to say this real quick. I know for many of you who struggle with anxiety, this verse has probably been abusive in how people have used it to you. Oh, are you worried about something? The Bible says don't worry. Oh, that's helpful, says no one ever. (laughs) Right? It's like, you know, you can't turn worry on and off like it's a water faucet, right? But Paul's not saying if you're worried, stop worrying. What he's saying is, let me tell you how to handle your worry when it hits. How to handle your anxiety when it attacks. What he says is, here's, you need to pray, but don't just pray any prayer. You need to pray with petition. A petition is a specific, concrete request. So if there's something that you're struggling with in your anxiety, say, what is that that I'm struggling with? And say, God, we need to talk because I'm really struggling with my son's work at school. It, it's stressing me out. It's creating anxiety in my life. God, I, I, I'm really worried about my health. Can we talk about that? Because the very act of saying, I'm going to talk to God about this, you know what you're doing? You're surrendering and saying, God, I'm not in control. You're in control. Then it says to couch this prayer and petition with thanksgiving. You're like, thankful? What am I thankful for? Well, we're thankful because we know that God hears our prayers and he's going to answer us. But when we come to a place where we're praying with thanksgiving, it's saying, God, I want to thank you for how you're going to answer this prayer. You may change my situation. I'm going to say thank you. You may change me in the situation. I'm going to say thank you. I am pre-thanking you, God, because I know you're doing something in the midst of this. And then something happens when we can kind of have this posture of thanksgiving, of thanksgiving, but I'll say I'm going to talk to God specifically about my, my stuff. It says that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means this peace of God that we may not understand because our circumstances may not change, the situations may not change, our health may not change, but the peace of God, which is rooted in the reality that we have a creator who is faithful, who, still, who always does what he says he's going to do and we can trust in him, is going to take care of us. When we are able to be rooted and grounded and choose to believe that reality rather than anything else that's in our heads, that peace of God guards us no matter what we feel. Because the path to peace is through prayer. The path to peace is through prayer. I want to unpack this a little bit because I think for many of you, you're probably thinking, well, Nathan, I pray about my anxiety. You know what that does? It creates more anxiety because now I'm thinking about all the things I'm anxious about. And I've got this list and it's just kind of going crazier and louder and and you're all amped up because more and more anxiety you're feeling because you're saying, God, I'm anxious about this and you're feeling it and, and it kind of snowballs, right? But you see, I think part of the problem is sometimes we, we pray in the wrong way. See, when we pray, we need to pray in a way where we're actually starting to break down some of those anxious thoughts. In fact, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 10, where he says this. He says, take captive every thought to make it, what? Obedient to Christ. You know what this means? That some of us, actually all of us, have disobedient thoughts. We have thoughts that are running amok in our minds, that are literally causing all sorts of chaos and causing all sorts of pain and all sorts of problems within us. It's what psychologists call stinking thinking, right? You've heard of this stinking thinking? If I go over this bridge that's been here for 200 years, today's the day it's going to fall apart, right? Or, you know, if my son doesn't pass his spelling test in second grade, he will never get to Harvard, right? Or some of the more serious ones, like, you know, I'm never 
going to get married? What's so unlovable about me? Or even, I'm always struggling with this anxiety and panic attacks. Am I crazy? My mind just doesn't feel all together. You see, we have these thoughts that come after us, the stinking thinking. But the stinking thinking, you know what it actually is? They're lies. They're lies. One of the things that the Christian faith tells us is we have an enemy who wants nothing more than to make us paralyzed and debilitated but telling us lies about ourselves and lies about the world around us. God doesn't care about you. God's not going to take care of you. No one cares about your problems. You've got to take care of yourself. And he knows that if he can get these lies in you, that, then you're, you're stuck. You're kind of off the field. That's why Paul says, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is hand-to-hand combat type praying, folks. This is the kind of thing where when that thought comes to mind, I, I get this picture of Paul taking a net, and you're capturing that thought, and you're saying, all right, thought, let me tell you what's really going on. You think that you're telling me that no one loves me, but the Father in heaven loves me. And he's given me his people, and they love me. So I'm going to walk in the truth in that reality. You see, when we start to pray, and we're taking these specific petitions, and we're saying, okay, what does this line up with what God is saying about me? Does this line up with the label he's given me? We start to find freedom from the lies. And we can actually start to forge a path through anxiety. Just ask my friend Lucy. Lucy, when you meet Lucy, she is one of the kindest, warmest, most incredible human beings in the world. Like, you know, she's, you know, she's like a great Christian. I'm like looking at her going, I need to be like Lucy, right? And, you know, she's incredible. Like, and you literally, she, you know, literally, you talk to her voice, you hear her voice, she's like the most anti-anxious person in the world. But about a year ago, an incident took place in her life that literally flipped everything. And it's an incredible story of what God has done in her life to kind of bring her to this place where she can kind of find victory over that. Let's watch her story together. I was on my way to my life group when suddenly just a sense of overwhelming fear came over me and I, I felt like my heart was racing. I felt like I was going to faint. I just didn't know what was happening. I, I couldn't bear whatever was happening to me um, to take over my life at that moment. And so I got angry at the situation. But I knew at that very moment, there was something wrong. And so the panic attack couldn't come at a worse time. We were days away before my wedding and I couldn't go to work for a whole week. I couldn't stay home alone, drive myself to the bank or the supermarket. It debilitated me. I knew that I needed to seek help. Going to a psychiatrist was difficult for me. I was a follower of Jesus and I was feeling guilty. Did I not have enough faith in Jesus? Um, did, I, did I not trust him enough? It really took a step of faith to really trust God and that this was the path he was leading me towards. For me, surrendering control is its a day-to-day thing. I started sharing my story with others in my group and it was just so shocking to see how many actually struggle the same way I do. I was able to open up and receive encouragement, prayer, 
I found peace in my anxiety by really laying down the lies and really clinging on to God's truth that I'm not alone. I was never alone. Um, and I'll never be alone. And the more I was vulnerable, shared my story, the more I knew that that was true. Can we thank Lucy for sharing her story? And I love that story because what really resonates with me every, every time I see this is how when the anxiety first came, how it just wants, it's disorienting, right? It's disorienting, and then it makes us want to isolate ourselves, withdraw from other people. And, and you know, Lucy was explaining that. And what's so interesting is that's exactly how the enemy works. He wants to isolate you from others. And when, if he can get... If he can isolate you and then get you kind of in that whole uh, tape of stinking thinking, then you're stuck. And I'm so glad that Lucy had her small group, that she could go to them and talk with them and confess with them, that she was able to be vulnerable with them and honest with them about what was going on in her lives, because that's where she found victory. When you and I walk in vulnerability, that's where there's victory. Because God has given us a resource in one another the body of Christ, the church. When, when one of us struggles, we should all feel that and come around one another. Because listen, anxiety's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. And sometimes you can't sift on your own fact and fiction, but you need people in your life that you can just vent to, and that, that, they, that they can share, and that you, they can help you say, all right, well, that's not true. That's not how God sees you. That's not how anyone sees you. This is who you are in Christ. You're a beloved son, daughter. You're accepted. You're created for great things. There's a hope and a future for you. See, we need people around us that will speak truth, biblical truth into our lives that will help us combat the lies that Satan throws at us. This is hand-to-hand -hand combat. But not only do we have the body of Christ as a resource, Jesus says, I want to be your resource. I want you to draw from me strength. I want you to draw from me truth. I want you to draw from me peace. And I think God does this through a principle called the manna principle. We see this in scripture. How many of you know the story of when God's people were in the desert in Israel, the story of manna? Any of you know this? Okay, there's a few of you that do. Real quick recap. God took his people out of Egypt as slaves, and before they could get to the promised land, they're in the desert for about 40 years wandering. And so they're hungry, and they're like, God, you got to feed us. We're not going to make it. You know, and so God's like, all right, I'm going to provide you this stuff. And so one morning they woke up and there were these little like frosted flake type things that were all over the desert and they would pick them up and they said, what's this? And God's like, that's a great name. We're going to call it manna, which means what's this, right? So, so think frosted flakes, but with, all, but like with the power of a cliff bar. Like that's exactly what kind of manna is, right? Like it's all the nutrients you need to kind of survive. And so, you know, it was great. What people would do is they would take it and they would, they would mush it up. And they would use it, you know, to make all sorts of things. A lot, very versatile uh, substance. They would make um, manna waffles, you know, uh, manna pancakes, manna burgers, or my favorite, there's banana bread, right? <laughs> like, they, they, this stuff they would, would go great. But there were a couple stipulations, a couple rules about the manna, and that's this. Everyone was, oh, here it is. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Mo then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. 
So essentially what, what, what God is saying is, all right, guys, you can take what you need, but no hoarders, okay? Just take what you need, and that's it, you know? Uh, don't take too much. You know, it's like, it's like the rules at a buffet, right? It's like you got to take a certain amount. And so, and so, of course, human nature kicks in, so people are like, oh, I'm going to take some extra. So people would take some extra so they could make more banana bread or whatever it is they wanted to make. And then this would happen to the manna. It said that the manna, it was full of maggots and began to smell, right? So, you know, imagine reaching for your banana bread or manna cookie and it's this black, greasy, stinky thing, you know, wriggling worms inside and all that stuff. Gross. And I'm sure, you know, that's the thing about manna. It had everything you needed to survive, but no shelf life. It was gone within 24 hours. And I'm sure the people of God were thinking, God, what are you doing? Like, why can't you give us enough manna to last forever? Why can't you give us enough manna to last a lifetime? Guys, it's the same way with peace. God gives us enough peace to last for 24 hours. No more, no less. Because what God was teaching the people in the desert was this. It's not the manna you need to look to. It's to me. God wants to provide you peace as you look to him in each and every moment. Each and every day. God says, I will give you enough peace to get through your day. And then you know what happens when you wake up in the morning, right? Stinking thinking. And then we need to go back to the Father and say, God, I, I need your peace. I need your truth. I need to remember who you say I am, not the labels that the world gives me. I need your peace for today, God. See, God says, I'm going to give you enough peace for that doctor's appointment you have today. I'm not going to give you the peace to let your mind run about, oh, this could be this cancer, or my grandmother died of this, or it could be this or that or that. No, no, no. I'm just going to give you the peace for today. Tomorrow, I'll give you more peace if you come to me. See, God wants us to live. Because you know what anxiety really wants us to do? Anxiety makes us want to control our surroundings. Anxiety is about managing our world and saying, hey, God, I want to be independent of you and run things on my own. That's essentially what anxiety wants to do. But what God wants to teach you and I is dependence on him. And as we depend on him day in, day out, as we draw our peace and our strength from him day in, day out, we grow in our faith. You see, manna had another name, and that was bread from heaven. See, our bread from heaven is the bread of life, Jesus. Jesus is your manna. Jesus wants you to draw from him every single day, every single moment when your anxiety is big, when your anxiety is small. He wants you to go to him and draw strength from him. So, so what does this actually look like? Well, rather than getting so caught up with, oh my gosh, I don't know the meaning of my life. I don't know what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. God, you got to help me. you got to tell me every single detail. God's just going to say, just focus on what you're doing right now. Just right now in this moment. Don't, don't worry about the big picture. Just focus on today. Or we get so anxious about our careers and our jobs. God, I, I, need, to, I need to know how I'm going to get to this job. I need to switch jobs or I need to uh, you know, get this promotion or if I, if I don't do this. And God's just saying, why don't you just focus on doing a good job on Monday and not worry about all this other stuff? And, and so rather than getting so amped up about, oh my gosh, am I going to get in this car accident? Is my partner going to cheat on me or leave me? Or am I going to have enough money to retire? Rather than getting amped up about all that stuff, God's saying, just focus on what you need to do today. Because today's got enough problems. Just focus in on that. You know, in Lucy's story, she talked about how her, her anxiety got so bad, she couldn't even leave the house. She couldn't even work. And Lucy had to learn step-by-step -step dependence on God. 
In fact, I want to let her share with you what that looked like. Going to the grocery store was quite a challenge. For many, it's quite easy to just hop in their car, drive over, grab what you need. But for me, it created um, this sense of uncertainty, not sure what's going to happen. So for me, I needed to break down those, those trips where it's, first, let's just get into the car and just drive to the supermarket. Next stop can just be, now we can just go into the supermarket. We don't have to buy anything. But in every step, I always reminded myself that Jesus was with me. And knowing that gave me comfort. So at the end of a completed trip, you know, I, I would just say, Jesus, we did it together. I love that perspective that Lucy's giving. Like, rather than just that, hey, looking at the big picture of Jesus, can you help me get out, my, out of my door? Jesus, can, can you help me get into my car? All right, Jesus, we're in the car, we're driving. Can you help me get to the grocery store? And in each and every step, she depended on Jesus. And I love what her line, her line at the end was. It's like, yay, Jesus, we did it together. I think for many of us, you know, we, we've grown up in a culture that values independence. We can do it on our own. We can do it our own way. But Jesus is saying, I want you to do it with me. I want you to depend on me. I want you to stop looking at your own ability to give yourself peace and take the peace I have for you. And you'll find what Lucy found, that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we discover. Because when we are able to say to God, God, can you come with me in the midst of my anxiety? We discover that he is the God of peace who is with us and wants to fight for us in those times of anxiety. And when Paul wraps all this up in verse 8, he says this, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true and whatever is noble, Whatever is right and whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So what happens here is Paul is giving a list of, hey, listen, I, I know that you're struggling with all this other stuff, but try to train your mind, retrain your mind to focus on these things, whatever is true and lovely and admirable. And then the promise goes like this, and whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the who? God of peace will be with you. Here's what I love about this. The God of peace will give you the peace of God. The God of peace, who's all about making you whole spiritually, emotionally, and physically, will give you the peace of God. That's his end game. And so as you're depending on him in each and every moment, as you're going hand-to-hand -hand combat against the thoughts that are coming to your mind, he wants to give you the ammunition you need to win. So it's whatever is true and noble, whatever is right and true. Fix your eyes and your thoughts on those things, the things that are pure. I know we struggle at times with purity, but how can we guide our eyes and our mind to think pure thoughts? I know we struggle in the midst of so many things, but the truth is that God is with us. He's not left us alone in our struggles. You see, this is more than simply a bunch of self-help stuff. This is actually a description of Jesus. Because Jesus is peace personified, Amen. Jesus is peace personified. Jesus is what is true and noble and right and just and holy and blameless. 
All those things are about Jesus. When we can get our eyes on Jesus, when we start to, to kind of start to think about things through the filter that Christ has given us, we start to experience peace as a byproduct of putting our eyes on him. And that's what he wants to give us. You see, the God of peace isn't just some generic God. It's the God who has been revealed through Jesus. Amen? And many of us know this story, but Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, and then he died on the cross. And we know that he died so that we could be set free from our sins. But you know he also died to break the power of anxiety in your life? To break the power of fear in your life? He died to set you free from all those things. Because his death on the cross made, gave us peace with God, but also releases the peace of God. And see, the peace of God is something that we always have. See, nothing can take away the peace of God, amen? See, the peace of God is unflinching and unstoppable. The peace of God is there for you moment by moment. The peace of God will never leave you. The peace of God is something that is part of your heritage as a Christ follower because the peace of God is eternal. It is an eternal peace that lasts forever. You have the peace of God. Now, I know for some of you in this room, this is a battle, amen? And God wants to give you the tools you need to tap into the eternal resources he has so that you can walk in the peace that God has for you. For some of you, you've been wrestling with anxiety for a long time. And you wonder, is there ever any hope? And what God wants to say to you is, why don't you surrender it to me and I'll fight for you. For some of you, maybe you're here today kind of like Lucy. You, you feel this guilt and shame because you might have to get on medication or maybe you are on medication. But what the God of peace says to you is, I've created that so that you can come and have peace. Maybe for some of you today, you're in denial. What God is saying is, when you come to me and admit your struggle, that's when I can release my power. Because my power is made perfect through weakness. If you're here today and anxiety has a grip on you, let's actually take time to declare as the church that our God is our fortress. Our God is our strength. Our God is the one who's got our back. Our God is the one that fights for us. We're not in this alone. Amen? Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us. If you're here this morning, all across our campuses, and maybe you're sensing that, you know, I do struggle with anxiety. I, I struggle with over-worrying. I'm terrified of the future and the unknown. Why don't you just raise your hand up right now? Just raise your hand up. It's between you and God. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask that the Spirit of God meet you right here and that he gives you what you need for this moment. Amen? For the rest of this day. So Holy Spirit, would you come and show yourself as the God of peace? God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, my friends that are struggling with anxiety right now that are bringing anxious thoughts to you. God, we submit them to you. And we declare that they will have no power over us. They will no longer paralyze us or debilitate us because you are the God that we look to. We look to you, Jesus, who died for us 
so that we could no longer wear this label of anxiety, but wear this label of peace. And that is who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.